The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Well, welcome back to The Video Insiders. I am here with my co-host, Dror Gill. Dror, how are you doing today? I'm doing uh, very well, you know, considering those uh, special circumstances we're in. And one of the only things you can do in this uh, situation is record a podcast, right? All you need is your computer and a mic and an internet connection. And uh, so we really enjoy uh, doing these podcasts and continuing to uh, host some of the uh, best uh, industry experts to tell us all about uh, what they do. So uh, I'm very happy to welcome Simon and Pepe from uh, Unified Streaming. So uh, welcome to the Video Insiders podcast. Thanks, Ro. Thank you, Dror and Mark. I'm very happy to be on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to, great, great to have you guys. So um, can you tell our listeners more a bit about uh, the history of your company? Sure, happy to do that. I mean, going back a number of years, uh, I think we started around 2008 when um, Arjen Wagner, our CTO, uh, created the module H264 streaming module. Uh, it was about the time when Adobe announced MP4 support for FLV. And uh, at that time, you had to wait for the video to download. So what Arjen did, because, well, he's looking for innovative solutions to make things easier. He kind of programmed a, a module for Apache web servers that could basically look at the index immediately. So you could skip forward or go forward in the video without uh, waiting for the video to download. At that time, it was open source. And uh, the company was not called Unified Streaming, but it was called CodeShop. So at the time, you also saw that um, basically three solutions existed um, for streaming. Uh, one was uh, for Microsoft uh, Smooth. The other was for HTS from Adobe. And of course, uh, Apple was there with HLS. And uh, Arjen, as a smart guy he is, he created a solution that could stream from one encode and before encode three uh, formats. So Microsoft Smooth, Adobe, and Apple in one solution. I think for many of our customers, that was very good because they immediately could throw, throw out uh, three servers uh, and replace it with only one server, the unified streaming server. Well, since 2012, um, we changed the name from CodeShop to uh, Unified Streaming, and a lot of things have changed. Basically, as we see uh, the ecosystem as uh, being the encoder, creating the encodes, the origin server or the packaging solution, and the CDN to deliver the content to the um, viewer with the player, of course, we still have a laser-sharp focus on packaging technology. And since then, we've added so many features. And uh, of course, looking at what DRM uh, brought to the industry, a lot of complexity. So we have all built it in and we have now a very feature-rich uh, uh, product. And uh, looking at the portfolio, uh, we have three products, um, maybe four. One for static packaging. Uh, the other is the origin for just-in-time packaging. We have a product to capture live streams and create it into... Uh, let's say catch-up TV kind of assets or do live to vote in a more generic sense. And our latest product is Remix. And Remix is a very interesting uh, product which we can discuss further in detail. So in summary, 
I feel that we have been a forerunner in creating smart video streaming technologies to address all the platforms and devices and all the challenges that are coming from streaming to those platforms and devices. And um, yeah, we have been doing well, uh, over 200 customers worldwide, headquartered in Amsterdam. Does that uh, cover your question? Yes, very much so. And I really like your point about the focus. It is, it is so true that when you have so many components in your video processing chain and you really want to excel at something, you need to focus on it. And uh, if you focus on packaging and that's all you do, then uh, you do it uh, very well and you become well-known in the same way that Beamer focused on core encoding, uh, you know, quality, bitrate, CPU performance, and getting the best out of that. And then you presented very nicely the way that by supporting uh, multi-protocol, multi-format packaging, you made life easier for your customers. But, you know, taking those chunks of the encoded stream and uh, adding some uh, headers and metadata to them according to the protocol might seem kind of uh, uh, simplistic. But on the other hand, if you look at this domain of the packaged content, there is a lot that you can do with it because you have the packaging for VOD, you have the packaging for live, and then you have all of these uh, mixing or remixes. You know, you mentioned this remix product, but also the concept of taking it from one domain to another, that's where things start getting complicated, right? When you have a live stream and you immediately want to create the VOD asset that represents that live broadcast and have it available for consumption as VOD. Or if you have a live stream and now you want to start over something that is a live uh, video, but you want to go back uh, in time. Uh, so there's a lot of possibilities of really creating new viewing experiences using the content that you already have in the package domain and I think that's what's nice about the product that on one hand, it is, it is simple. It's, it's a very well-defined position in the value chain. But on the other hand, you have so much flexibility to create new experiences in the domain that you're working in. Yes, that's correct. I believe that's a good summary. You know, Simon, um, so many video services over time have had to build their own solutions. And maybe it's not that they had to, you know, some were very, very early and um, commercial solutions didn't really exist. So they had to build it. Others, you know, out of necessity, they didn't have a lot of budget. What are you seeing as a commercial provider? Where are you able to bring maybe a sense of greater reliability or scalability or, um, you know, maybe even features that you have just observed in general, um, someone who's kind of built their own homebrew solution, uh, you know, struggles? Does anything stand out in your thinking? I feel what we are so fanatic about is that we embrace specifications and we feel that because we are a part of a ecosystem where there are many different vendors that uh, specification is basically the only way you should go so for instance if we have clients asking for okay can you please tweak this or tweak that so it could work with this solution yeah, we are always reluctant to, to say yes, because we feel that, yes, it could work like that, but then maybe only for one year. So going back to the fact that, okay, if you rely on specifications, it will be a future-proof solution for all time. Pepine? Yeah, to, to add on that, I think what you're saying is also correct. The reliability is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. When I came to the company, I've not been with the company as long as Simon has been, but when I came to the company, 
the OTT space was still kind of a, a me too environment where people that were doing linear broadcasts were also yeah, providing something on the web. And if that fell over, I could be lying down for a day or two. Nowadays, it's like a core business value and needs to, needs to run 24 seven every day, every time, all the time. And I think that's where we play quite strongly. We have the experience. We've been doing it for a couple of years. We have the, the robustness, the scalability. Uh, also by nature, from where we're coming from, it's quite light. And that allows for people to scale us up quickly if it's needed. And uh, yeah, as Simon said, like the different formats, the specs. I, I just recently had a discussion in Russia with one of my customers where they said, we, we have the comp competitors and we were always happy with them and we needed you guys for something else. And then we decided to test some other devices. And the funny thing is it works out of the box. And I guess that's where, Drawer, your, your remark about focus comes back. If this is the only thing you do, then yeah, you got to do it right. Otherwise, people don't see your added value. Yeah, absolutely. So I would like to connect this to, to what's happening in the business. And, uh, you know, one of my observations uh, is that it wasn't that long ago that basically there were two paradigms that we had to deal with, right? There was linear delivery that was primarily over the broadcast mechanism, you know, meaning over the air or satellite traditionally. But, um, you know, I'd say in the last three years, you know, maybe even four years, um, that's really switched to streaming. And um, there's different business models. There's the SVOD, you know, you pay, uh, you know, $13 a month or 10 bucks a month or five bucks a month. And, you know, you can watch, you know, and then there's the advertised sponsored VOD. And, you know, I suppose there's some hybrids in there, but you're seeing now services that have components of all three. So uh, they might have linear streams. And I'm thinking of Hulu is a great example. Hulu has a linear service. They have a premium SVOD and they have a lower cost, or I think it's even still a free tier, which is, you know, uh, advertising sponsored. So walk us through, you know, both what some of these trends are. Maybe you can give us some examples of customers, you know, that you're dealing with. And then let's try and connect this to, to your solutions and, you know, also just to how the need of a, of a packager, how it's changing, you know, how it's no longer sufficient, maybe what I built in a VOD context to just sort of morph that into supporting live as an example. Okay, <clears throat> that's a that's an interesting question. We very actively only play on the HTTP side of things. However, the, the playing field that we get is getting bigger every day. Where in the past, we were simply the guys that put whatever came out of broadcast on the web. Now we do restart, we do NPVR, we do all these kind of new features that allow us to do take a little bit more of the, of the pie. And slowly you see this line of HTTP moving pretty much almost into the studio. People want to get more control of their own environment. Some of this stuff is, is very actively done today by personalized advertising. So that's a moment where it's actually the end user deciding what's the content of the stream, whether they know it or not. At the same time, it's also, in the old days, unthinkable that based on the viewer at the end, you would see a different stream. And one of the things that you said before, if you focus long enough on this specific part that we call the origin, we've been adding features to that beast for the last eight years. We come into accounts where our competitor is working or where they have a homegrown environment and where people say, oh, that's interesting. Could you also do this? And like, yeah, look at the release notes from four years ago. This is all standard functionality. This is not cutting edge anymore. It's there. It's it, you know, it comes with the package, and I think that's one of those um, those areas where we're where we're playing quite nicely. Bringing that back into the difference between live and VOD. So one thing that we can do is it's ready for the web. There is still too many customers out there 
that having a completely separate pipeline, I'm mean, no offense, it's good for the encoder vendors, but it's not very good for the customers to completely do a second encode of all your assets into VOD. So this is where our life to vault plays in, meaning that you, instead of actually re-encoding everything, you're just cutting the pieces from your live stream and they're instantly available. Looking at uh, EPG GetShop, looking at vault catalogs, but imagine that you're having a crazy channel where nobody's watching because it's actually a radio channel that also has an online. You know how people look at the studio and somebody tips over a cup of coffee. Now this coffee spills over the desk. There is one guy watching that. He saw that and he's going to go back on his TV, record it and put it on the web. If you can do that yourself because you have the stream and everything's available, you can beat them to it and be quicker. And now all of a sudden you've got two minutes of content with two minutes of ads in front and two minutes of ads behind. And all of a sudden, you got a new way of monetizing your content. It's not new content. Content is king, but it's not new content. It was already there, and you're just making better use of it. Time allows you to kind of reuse that asset and make sure you get the benefits of what you created. Yeah, and I can imagine, you know, using that example with some AI machine learning, um, if you had a way to have some of those clips almost like automatically created or pulled out or cut up and you know obviously it might be a little more difficult to know like what was funny uh you know oh spilled coffee that's funny but you could certainly look at cutting up a scene into smaller or cutting up a a a longer program into smaller chunks that uh maybe it's everything the guest said just all strung together but it's automatically assembled are there any applications where people are doing that maybe you could create an automatic trailer of the show maybe yeah, automatic trailer, exactly. Simon, these guys have stole my density concept. <laughs> Help me out. Un- unknowingly, unknowingly. <laughs> unknowingly. <laughs> no. no, we didn't steal it. We independently developed it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've, uh, I've got this thing called density, which is exactly as you just described it, because the coffee example is very simple. And you can say coffee is funny to the guy that spilled it. It's probably not funny. But um, you can do a lot with AI nowadays. And um, my, my, my prime example, if, if, we, if we're going to go into this right now, is to say, um, it's not necessarily reusing a piece of content, but exactly what you said is reusing a piece of content in a time scale that's the most beneficial for you. So if the only thing people cannot buy in this world, except maybe now with the whole corona situation, a lot of things are harder to get by, but time is the one thing that nobody can get. If you can deliver people content at the density that they're looking for, I bet you they'll be willing to pay for it. And I'll give you an example if you want. Formula One, any of you interested in that? I guess it's not very American thing, but it's very it's quite big out here. We have a Dutch driver. Um, if I'm at IBC or NAB and I'm in my taxi to the back to the city, I got 15 minutes and I know there was a race that day. I want to watch highlights, but I want to watch my highlights. I don't want to watch the guy that drives up front. I want to watch my driver. I want to watch my team. I want to watch overtakes, rain, crashes, start, finish. And yes, I also want to see the highlights from the guys that have done the, um, the directing of it. And now all of a sudden I got my own personal highlight clip. This is available today with the AI information that you have, with the metadata these people are adding to it, you get a very high density event, which I think is is definitely awesome. And for me, I don't want to watch an hour and a half. I want to watch 15 minutes, but I want to be able to talk about it as if I saw the whole thing. You know, this is super interesting. As you're saying that, I'm envisioning a world where the full length program is the free one. 
the premium one is actually <laughs> is actually the one that's been cut down because you are bang on. Where is the value? You know, our time is such a valuable commodity, and and then that also gets back to attention. You know, um, we have we only have limited attention, which is tied, which is totally correlated to our time. You know, we only have so many hours in the day, so we can only do so much with that time before the next day starts. You know, so I can see a very interesting scenario where I, as a viewer, might be willing to pay or, you know, and that could happen in various ways, right? It could literally be me paying with money or it could be, you know, maybe ad loads or, you know, I don't know. There's various ways you can monetize, but um, monetize higher for that premium experience. And the premium experience is a 15 minute highlight reel. That's fascinating. And personal was very much. Yeah, personalized, exactly. Because yeah. you're saying adding the, the ad load. No, no, no. I want 15 minutes. I want to pay for this because I don't want to spend two of my 15 minutes on ad. But now I have a more interesting one. Can I? Do you think I can get more money out of you using the same content? Yeah. Now, connect this, though, to your solution. So um, this is as a result of your, of your live to VOD, what's happening inside the packager and, and how are you facilitating this? So th- this is one of the things that, that we use, uh, the tool uh, Simon just introduced called Remix. And what Remix does, it allows you to stitch assets together. So you, we, first of all, you got to have the live stream, right? Without a live stream, you don't have the content, you can't start anywhere. As soon as you have the live stream, you can clip pieces out of it with Capture. If you imagine to be clipping, let's say, every minute or every five minutes, you create a chunk on disk, which is now slowly you're rebuilding the entire event as it goes. And as soon as somebody comes in, uh, obviously the metadata is not ours. Somebody else has to do either the AI or actually manually add the tags to it. So our tooling knows where to come from. And then it's very simple. You give the tool, because everything we do is command line driven, or at least um, in this case, you're you're giving it a SMIL file with start and end times of different uh, moments that you want to see. Um, and it stitches those together, and then it gives that to the origin, and the origin plays it out as if it's a regular file. The interesting thing is that it doesn't actually touch the source content. So you're able to move around like hours of content without actually moving the content itself. You're only moving the index files. You're keeping the high quality that you had, and you're also not moving stuff around. So you kind of on the fly generate something for somebody specifically, you play it out and you throw it away. But it still gets DRM'd and everything as you have to, by the origin. That's very interesting. So basically you can remix any part of a recorded live uh, stream based on any rules that you defined. And as we discussed, this could be AI rules, personalized highlights, taking a view of a certain uh, player or driver or camera or, or whatever. And then you create a completely new piece of content out of that long recording and and you have more content to ship and, and to monetize in whatever way uh, you wish. Exactly. And you don't have to store it anywhere because it's only virtual. So it's a very small file that you store somewhere for as long as you need it. And if you want to use it more time, say that's quite possible, but you don't have to. And, and this small file is just the index that, that tells you which parts of the recorded live stream to take, right? Exactly. We're using some, uh, some of the tools that are inside the ISO BMF uh, uh, standard that allows us to use something called the uh, data reference which is like, it's an MP4 file without any video. Yeah, we call it a remixed MP4 file. Yeah, it's kind of like a, like a playlist of chunks. Exactly, but now because you're pushing it through the origin, you don't get all the side effects of doing a playlist with chunks from manifest manipulation or even player side, because everything that comes out of the origin is just seen as a, 
as a regular file. So all the other features and functions that you're used to from the origin still exist. Now, we talked about uh, VOD and the different business models. Is there anything in your technology that uh, differentiates or enables the different models? Let's say AVOD versus SVOD. How, how is that different in, in the way you manipulate the content? I think this is, uh, this is an interesting uh, question because uh, Pepin talked about, uh, let's say, mixing, remixing uh, many sources, uh, content sources, media sources. Now, what we see in the playlist of today and maybe tomorrow and in the future is that we see sources in a more generic way, like a source can also be a metadata stream or a source can also be an input stream from another system that can help to modify the stream. So if you take a very black and white uh, approach to SVOD versus AVOD, AVOD is basically uh, content enriched with SCOTI triggers, markers where ads should be inserted. And SVOD doesn't have these, uh, these markers. So with Remix, we are uh, in a position where we can actually update or recondition the VOD catalog with, for instance, things like markers and metadata, uh, which then enables our clients to use an existing uh, VOD uh, library immediately for AVOD purposes. Wow, this is really interesting. And let's talk about this because this is a different approach than uh, dynamic ad insertion, kind of the um, brute force way. Um, you mentioned the SCUDI 35 markers. And so explain uh, more about why this is more efficient and how this allows someone to just take an asset and effectively um, turn it into a dynamically um, ad-inserted um, uh, stream. Yeah, sure. So what uh, what we do is, uh, because if you want to do ad replacement on an existing asset, the asset has never been intended for ad replacement. Imagine the old days, you had a regular progressive MP4. Nowadays, we segment it, you get small segments and you can stream it. If you want to stream it, the chances that your moments where you can actually you know, break into a stream and replace it with an ad it's not like the chances that it actually is on a segment boundary is quite hard because you don't want to have the cliff anger right after the uh, right after the ad. So in the same way as Remix works to stitch different assets together, you can also tell Remix to stitch the same asset together, but to give it some breaks in between. So what happens if you have an asset of an hour and you say, I want to have a break at 15 minutes and two seconds, 23 minutes and 16 seconds, it will actually go in, fetch those segments that are um, uh, touched on create an iframe, set it in there, and give it back to the origin to play out as a regular stream, except with some extra iframes. So whoever is down the stream can actually consider yes or no, do I want to insert an ad or not? And if they do, then obviously the, uh, the content is prepped. This allows you to do like with a huge long tail catalog to still be able to, uh, to do ad replacement, even though the essence had never been intended that way. Is there anyone else doing this? Because uh, it's my understanding that this is a somewhat unique approach. Literally creating an AVOD compliant file, it's really not possible, right? For them to just take a generic VOD asset and then insert an ad into it. Yeah, this is, as far as I know, we're the only ones doing it this way. It's also kind of hard for other people to do because if an ad replacement party would want to do it, they need to break the encryption. Because if, if your segment is encrypted, obviously you cannot look inside to create a new iframe. As a benefit, we do the encryption so we know what's inside. That's nice. And um, we, we talked about uh, the different uh, business models and 
There are some um, service providers, as we said, who mix different business models. Um, for example, I've noticed that Amazon has both subscription and transactional in the same service. And as Mark mentioned, some other players have, like Hulu, have subscription and advertising in, in the same service. And live. And live, right, right. So do you have specific tools for enabling them to easily switch between one business model and another? So the tools that we have are not necessarily made for this, but the tools that can do it is the origin and remix. So if you're talking about the different ways of using the assets, so if, if you give a VOD asset an AVOD treatment, you're actually creating splice point, you're creating opportunities to replace, but nobody says you have to replace because it's obviously an option to do or not to do. The replacement afterwards if you're coming to live streams that's obviously a different story if you're not replacing ads in a live stream people are going to look at a very funny black screen for a while which is uh, i think undesirable and there we have options that you can actually signal them in the stream so they get recognized and people can then opt to replace them with their own assets downstream so from a delivery point of view for us it's kind of transparent obviously there's a lot of stuff to be done downstream and i also have some customers that are looking to do the ad replacement not with Uh, manifest manipulation but do it straight on remix so that's another way you could actually do it if you're if you for example know that you're uh, getting hit by a lot of ad blockers on the other side and you want to get rid of those you could be able, you could actually insert ads into the uh, remix asset before it goes into the origin so now the, the ad replacement is done internally as opposed to externally and then it looks just like a regular content nobody can see what it is except the viewer I, I know that you guys, uh, you, you have 200 customers, you're working around the world. Are there any regional things that you're seeing, you know, trends, um, you know, Latin America versus Europe versus United States versus Asia versus, you know, wherever, uh, either in terms of business models or especially technologies that are being used or, or adapted? Basically, what we see is that big broadcasters are basically very interested to experiment with AVOD models. But what do you see in your region, um, Pepine? So when you're really talking about like the technology stack, Latin America is still a lot of smooth. Whereas if you go to Africa and on mainly the south of Sahara, Africa, it's all Android. They don't. They did never had smooth, so it's not going to be big out there. If you go to Eastern Europe, smooth again is a big thing. If you go to the high-end uh, broadcasters in Europe, there are still a lot of them that use HDS for old devices, legacy, legacy devices. North America, very HLS-driven, I think. And then um, China is a bit of a black spot for me. I think it's still a lot of RTMP in the traditional streaming formats, also because encryption is just a different thing out there than it is in the rest of the world. So that's a, that's a big difference. Another very interesting difference i've noticed in in regions that still don't have the luxury of the bandwidth that we're used to for example um, uh, in in south africa there are still people looking at extremely low bit rates because they simply say if i can drop my bit rate by 10 i can increase my viewers by 20 i don't have to do the math to explain that they are willing to spend a lot of money on on encoding just to get like a few more bits off which is for us living in a luxury of, of northern europe Where, where like 50 to 100 megabits to the house is normal is, is strange. But that's, uh, that's like a huge difference, I see. Yeah, but these times, uh, Ben, with starting to get uh, constrained, you know, with all the people working from home. So uh, I think um, the streaming services, even in Europe, are uh, reducing bandwidth. They definitely are. So yes, they, they are reducing the bandwidth here. I just don't know if it's, uh, if it's helping. I have the pleasure of living in a house with three kids. 
and they're all now going uh, doing their online videos for uh, for school because everybody has to stay at home. And I think that's a that's also quite a load on the network. So I'm not sure the tipping out the biggest bandwidth in um, in video is is helping that much, but I every little bit we can do is, is obviously helping. Yeah, yeah. And we try to do uh, our part by doing the optimization and content adaptive encoding that uh, Beamer has been doing for like uh, 10 years. And now suddenly it becomes relevant, not only in those uh, countries in Africa that are very uh, scarce with bandwidth, but also in the most uh, developed regions uh, of the world. Yeah, it's, and, it, and it's one of those nice features where people are asking about it. We can say, well, it's been there forever. In our solution, you can simply pass a URL parameter saying, cut out the biggest bitrate, and off you go. Obviously, it's better to do it with you guys because you get better quality. But if, if push comes to shove, this is a nice way of uh, yeah, quickly reducing your bandwidth. Yeah, just removing the top ABR layer. Now, I, I noticed that you mentioned uh, HDS and Smooth and HLS and RTMP. But I didn't hear um, a lot of Dash in your uh, international survey of uh, protocols. Okay, oh, Dash is definitely big in, in Africa. Uh, in Europe, it's getting bigger. In North America, I think it's still very HLS driven. One of the side effects is that Dash has a few standards already. So there's different standards to different um, uh, TV models. So what, one of the nice examples is if I work in Latin America, I've, I've noticed that out there, sometimes models that get shipped are... 2019 branded but if you look under the hood it's actually a 2015 which contains smooth and not dash that's also why i think it's it's nice that we have a, a single format and if you're talking dash let's go one step further and talk about cmav yeah cmav is definitely going to come dash is definitely here to stay is cmav going to be the holy grail i don't know uh, at least it's going to take another couple of years because these old machines they need to be replaced tvs are not going to get updated like mobile phones do so they're not going to magically support cmav in the future, yes. Today, I think we have a quite a long, long way to go. But right now, I understand that uh, CMAF is also emerging as a protocol, not at the output of the packager, but at the input of the packager, the standard protocol between a transcoder and a packager, right? Absolutely, we've been we've been working very, very hard on that. I think with you guys as well to get that uh, that that officially specified. I think uh, Simon mentioned it at the start. One of the key things in our business, if you want to go anywhere and if you want to be as focused as you guys are and as we are. We got to work on some very good specs. And I think this CMF ingest spec is, is a very good example of bringing that into a new world with new opportunities. I wanted to come back around and talk about your solution. And, and um, you know, you, get, you gave a, a nice high level overview and we've talked uh, certainly a lot about Remix, for example. But maybe you can uh, go through your other solutions and share, you know, I think what our listeners would love to hear is uh, something that uh, they may not know. Uh, you've already referenced that you get inbound requests and then you uh, kindly remind the uh, client that, hey, that's been supported for four years. Years. And I, I think we all deal with that on some level because these products are very advanced and they're, you know, the, the functionality is, uh, is quite vast. I had a nice one last week where one of my customers has been a long-term customer and they've, uh, they went to the Unified Certified Training. So they got trained and I, I called them up and I said, like, what did, you, um, what did you learn from the training? Because you've been using us for years. And he said, well, honestly, we're right into this project of migrating everything to the newest version. He said, so not today. But I have uh, five new projects lined up because all the stuff that I didn't know you guys could do. And those were around subtitles. So how can I manipulate subtitles to make best use of them instead of just burning them in the old school way? Another one for which he had was like, he found out that he can do a lot of uh, tweaking on the origin to actually provide people with the better manifest resulting in better playback uh, opportunities on the other side. So 
even though everything is packed, there is a lot of specs out there. So as I said, you got the dash DVB dash, MPEG dash, DVB low latency dash. Um, CMF is already like in six or seven different flavors. So a lot of these things you can tweak and by understanding what you're doing, um, you can just reach more devices, which is I think key because content is king, but getting people to view it in the easiest way possible is even more important or maybe not more important, but definitely as important. Low delay, uh, which you mentioned is, is, is definitely a, a trend. And, and a lot of people are trying to reach even lower and lower um, end-to-end delays. What are you seeing? What are the numbers that are, let's say, typical in 2020 and um, the most common standards for low-delay streaming? Um, if I look at the low-latency streaming, there's a few different approaches. And, and, and no surprise, they come from different geographical regions. You have the HLS low-latency streaming, which is very HLS-driven, which has a lot of competition from its own format. Uh, a lot of people have been tweaking this, have been playing with it and got pretty good results. Um, Apple is now has their own spec. It's good that we have like an official spec and I see people working on that. Um, I think there's a very nice uh, DAZN uh, demo um, that they did. It's very nice to see how low you can go based on, uh, on Unified Origin and, uh, and some tweaking by our partners. Another one is the DVB low latency which allows you to keep the entire chain in, in, in check. So you don't have to do like an encoder replacement, the CDN replacement, the packager replacement. But what you're doing is you're actually giving the player the information it needs to stay as close as possible to the edge. And that's giving very good results. I've heard people saying six, seven seconds from uh, OTT encoder input to on screen, which is fairly fast. I also got complaints from people that have been playing around with it. And he's like, yeah, I'm getting buffering. I'm getting quality issues. And I'm like, yeah, of course. If you take all the buffers out, then yeah, it's going to get worse. I think a main thing is to find out whether people want low latency or not. So I definitely don't want low latency on all my channels. Um, if it's a high profile event, yes, I would like low latency. If it's a movie, I want good quality. So for those things, and that's again something the origin plays a nice role because you can tell it to even give out like three different streams on the same channel and say, this is a one-second segment and this is a six-second segment. Do you want low latency? Take the one-second uh, one segment. Do you want a, a better quality? Take the six-second segment. But they are, they are part of the same stream, actually. Yes. So from the encoder comes a single stream in one-second segment, and we then on the origin stick them together in one, two, three, or six, or whatever you want. Obviously, it's going to create copies in the CDN, but uh, that's a smaller price than to have bad performing clients. Right, or to do different encodes for low delay and, and high delay and, and things like that. It definitely makes sense. Imagine that you have like a one second segment length as a stream. You're probably going to lose out on 20 to 30, well, depending on the region you're in. You're losing out to 20 to 30% of the devices because they simply cannot handle such a, such a stream. If you can now say, I'm going to keep the same encode and in the origin, I'm just going to hold them a little bit longer until I have six, six second segments, I can still give it to these people. But now they don't get the low latency, but you'll still see the stream. Me, myself, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the personalized watching. So I, I don't care about latency. Give it to me three hours later, but give it at my speed, give it at my density. You know, there, there used to be this concept of a scalable video that can uh, change uh, based on your network and adapt. And it's nice that you can adapt, but when you adapt the stream to the network, what happens is it's not that when, uh, you know, quality gets better, the user will say, hey, that's awesome. You know, once they get used to good quality, when it drops, they say, wow, this is uh, really bad. I have to stop viewing. It's the new baseline. Yeah, yeah. It's like they prefer a consistent experience. And if it was low quality 
all along, you know, they would watch it because that's what they have. But once it drops from high to low, you know, that's a killer for the stream. I have a customer who did the uh, World Cup 2018 at extremely low latency, and they had to run around like, like rats to keep everything up and running. And then when the World Cup was over, they went back to regular latency. And then people started calling saying, hey, why is this not that, that fast anymore? Wow. So once you go late, low latency, you can't go back. When, when you go low, you can't go back. No. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay. So I, I think this was a really awesome uh, conversation and, and we covered a lot of topics. But um, now I want to cover a topic that nobody really knows about, but everybody talks about. Everybody's an expert on the future. So there's a lot going on right now. And you mentioned all of the different uh, protocols that you are supporting and continuing to support. When you look one or two years ahead, what are the main trends you are seeing in your part of, of the value chain? And what are the new developments that you are looking out for in uh, 2020 and 2021? One of those trends that we see is that, and we have touched upon that uh, already a couple of times, is that Uh, what Kevin Kelly, the founding executive editor of Wired, said, the only fact to become a scarce in a world of abundance is human attention, our time we can spend on watching content. So having said that, is that in our mission and vision of the company is like, okay, the end goal of this company is to create a personalized stream for every one of us. Uh, so I think the coming trend um, for the next two years is that in order to stay relevant, personalization will be introduced and whether that is a personalization on let's say I see the ad that is uh, of relevant to me uh, we also see that things are being introduced like theme channels so I'm interested in uh, watching a channel about cars and uh, Peppy is interested to watch a channel about horses uh, basically all the content in the world is available to make that happen And uh, for instance, a development that we are working on, uh, like uh, the Fall to Life development, uh, kind of plays a big, important role in this. What trend do you see, uh, Pepine? Yeah, I, I see the same sort of personalization. And, and I, the example I just gave about the Formula One and, and buying people time by making it shorter, it works the other way around as well. You can also buy people time by making it longer. So you're not saving them time, but you're giving them more time to enjoy. Let's say the Formula One case again. But now all of a sudden, I'm not making it shorter. I'm actually making it longer because I have access to all these different cameras with the onboard cameras, maybe even feeds that come out of Instagram or whatever online stuff is happening. And I can mix that into my stream. And this is not today. This is the future. But this would be my favorite where you can say, hey, this is a lazy Sunday morning. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to hang on the couch and watch the Formula One race in four hours instead of one and a half. I really see that same vision. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the in-stadia uh, networks, you know, so in, in a stadium. And it's just so obvious to me. You've got 25,000 people, even, you know, 50,000 in extreme cases, 100,000. The point is, regardless, you could have 500 people. Every one of those individuals now, with the exception of like maybe three, uh, have in their hand a phone. And the vast majority of those, that phone that they have in their hand is probably a high-end smartphone with an amazing camera. With and, and you just think about the possibility of what if you had the ability for those who wanted to participate to be able to access um, live streams of, from all these different locations around the venue. 
um, of the event or the associated action, you know, around the event, either on the field or or off the field, I guess, could maybe be interesting as well. Um, And what an amazing experience that would be um, for even people inside the venue, but especially for people outside the venue. And uh, so I, I definitely see this vision of the personalization of video that is just super exciting. Imagine watching a match with 4,997 uh, 4, kiss cams. I mean, that's what you're getting. And the funny thing is, what, what I was saying before is the line of HTTP is moving. If you're a director of this kind of thing, then you, you're used to your regular camera feeds. If you're going to bring any of those that have been triggered on social media or somewhere else, and you want to bring that into your traditional TV show, if you're going to bring all that back in-house to be going through the regular traditional broadcast pipes, it's probably going to come out an hour after the event. If you keep this on the HTTP side and you can stitch it in seamlessly, then you can actually use it. The other thing that I see is like, again, the Formula One example, there is no races, but they're pushing a lot of old races out right now. And that's, again, where something where they obviously cannot charge you for uh, showing off their long tail, but it is something where you can actually stitch a couple of ads in and get some money back and still keep people entertained. Recycle your content and monetize it uh, now that when you're not producing new content. Exactly. Well, Simon, Pepe, uh, it was wonderful to have you join the podcast. Thank you. I hope it was fairly well. It was uh, nice to do it. It's really interesting and uh, we enjoyed it. And uh, thank you for being on the Video Insiders. My pleasure. Thank you for making this happen. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.